Welcome to Highway 89, Utah's most scenic musical byway. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Today we're very excited to have viola players Donald Morris and Claudine Bigelow in the studio, along with pianist Scott Holden. Donald Morris, or Maurice as we Yanks say, is visiting from Wellington, New Zealand, where he teaches at the New Zealand School of Music. He spent his early career motorbiking to engagements across the UK, where he played with the London Mozart Players, the Bournemouth Symphony, the Ballet Rambert, and at Sadler's Wells. New solo and chamber performances take him to venues in Iceland, Australia, Germany, Canada, England, and of course, Provo, Utah. Today he'll play viola, but he's actually a triple threat being skilled on the viola, violin, and piano. And though it may not show up today, he's also a bit of a Dixieland banjo player. Also, he's been awarded the Silver Alto Clef by the International Viola Society and an honorary life membership by the American Viola Society. He's on the inaugural Australia and New Zealand Viola Society Roll of Honor. Claudine Bigelow served on the executive board of the American Viola Society for seven years. She heads viola and chamber music studies at Brigham Young University and is frequently invited to present about BYU's Primrose International Viola Archive. More about that in a few minutes. And she coordinates the annual William Primrose Memorial Concert. Scott Holden is currently the Director of Keyboard Studies at BYU. He'll join Donald and Claudine on the second half of the program. So let's kick it right off with music. This is from selections from 44 Bartok duos for violin, transposed for viola. Our two violas performing three pieces now in this break, Teasing Song, Midsummer Night Song, and Burlesque.
We've just heard three selections from Bartok's 44 duos for violin performed live and on viola by Donald Morris and Claudine Bigelow. This is Highway 89. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Donald, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you very much for having me. I've been looking forward to hear not, hearing not only one, but two violas today, to hear how the sounds go together differently than a string quartet with only one, I imagine. Yes, so it's a quite different experience, yes. In 2009, you were the special guest artist of the William Primrose Memorial Concert here at BYU. And that performance and today's are part of a larger story that actually connects you and viola virtuoso William Primrose and composer Bela Bartok. Maybe we can talk about that just a little bit. Primrose started on violin, then went to viola. Was that the same path for you? Yes, it was, yes. And what made you decide it's viola for me? Uh, well, when I was about 15, I was at high school and I was playing violin, and we, some of us wanted to make a string quartet, but there were no violists in the school. So I said, well, I'll give it a go just to fill in, and I did it, and I never went back. Well, I did go back, actually, occasionally, but as my main instrument from that point on, it was the viola. So you had a time studying with William Primrose, a Scottish violist, in Banff in Canada. I guess you were staying in the Commonwealth there. Uh, what was your experience in working with him? It was a rather interesting experience, really. And In fact, if I could go back one year to how that all sort of happened, I was studying with Donald McGuinness in Seattle the year before, and he took 12 of his students to London to play in an international viola congress, and the 12 violists actually played the Bartok duos with six on each part, and that was kind of the beginning, I suppose. Um, and at that same congress, he was called in to play the Bartok viola concerto at the last minute, I think with day's warning, not even week's warning, to stand in for someone else. And that was a year before I went to Banff. So when I went to Banff and met William Primrose, I'd had this exposure to the, to the duos and the concerto in quite close proximity. And William Primrose at this point was really retired, and he was in Banff as a special guest artist. So he actually had freedom all day to do whatever he liked. He could go to other people's master classes and take students out and take them off for a lesson and so on. And I actually met him, was introduced to him by my first viola teacher that I'd had in England, Nanny Jamieson, who was also Scottish. And so these were two violists, more or less the same age, who'd never actually met, both from Scotland, and they met in Banff. And so I was introduced to William Primrose through her. And then, because he didn't have a master class of his own, and, and I went and played for him one of the first few days I was there, expecting this would be a one-off thing. And I played my music, and he made comments, and he said, so what will you play me tomorrow? And so I, OK, I'll come back tomorrow with something else. And so this went on, actually, for several days. And, and I started to get quite worried, because when you go to Banff, you think, I've got six weeks ahead. I've got one master class each week to play, and I'll take six pieces. So I'd gone to band for six pieces ready to play, and suddenly after six days I'd run out of repertoire because <laughs> he wanted to hear me every day and he didn't want to hear anything twice. So that was my sort of first exposure to him. The concerto you mentioned was one that he had commissioned from Bartok, and uh, he must have at least been able to... He probably had it pretty close to performance level if he had to hurry out of retirement and, and call it back up, having been his own really his own. You published a book called Bartok's Viola Concerto, The Remarkable Story of His Swan Song, and it actually was unfinished. Is that true, when he died? Yeah, true, yes and no. I think that was um, <laughs> the answer is yes, it was finished, but not really. In other words, it was <laughs> finished from the beginning to the end, but there was a lot of uh, orchestration missing, ah. but the viola part was complete. 
So we know his original intent there. We, we have the manuscript, yeah. We can see the whole thing, but what we see is a sketch. We don't see a completed work in terms of orchestration or fleshing out the harmonies even. Well, we'll let you take your place. We're going to hear some more Bartok. We'll continue and hear three more selections from the 44 Bartok duos for violin transposed for viola. We'll be listening to First Fairy Tale, then Bride's Farewell, followed by Sorrow.
From Classical 89's performance studio, Donald Morris and Claudine Bigelow just performed Sorrow, Bride's Farewell, and Fairy Tale. From Bartok's 44 duos for violin, transposed for viola, you are listening to Highway 89. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Last year in New Zealand, Claudine, you and Donald gave a concert centering on these Bartok duos that we're hearing today, but you put a special twist into the concert. I wondered if you'd tell me about that something extra you added. One of the things that we added uh, were the original field recordings that inspired the compositions. When Bartok um, was um, first exploring the, his commitment to ethnomusicology around the early 1900s, between, I don't know, 1909 and 1915, somewhere in there, um, he uh, went out into the countryside and d- fell in love with the folk music of Hungary and the surrounding areas. And so he um, was armed with his Thomas Edison wax cylinder. I was going to ask what the medium was. <laughs> yeah. Wax cylinder. Wow. Yeah, he took his, and I'm not sure if it was wagons or donkeys, but it, it, it was um, very um, uh, enterprising of him to go out into the countryside and, and record... Um, these original people singing these folk songs in their um, countryside setting, and he, um, it was really exciting for him because he was going to places that didn't have hotels or restaurants or things like that. I've read the funniest stories about how he would come into a community and let people know that he needed a place to stay. Um, He tells stories of waking up in a house so full of people that there was only room for him on a bench, and the the mist was covering all the windows, and there was dew on the blanket he was under because there were so many people breathing (laughs) in the room. (laughs) Um, and, And then he had to talk them into... Um, l- letting him record their voices. And I think that because that technology was so new, probably some people thought that they were giving their soul to the devil or something. He was, it was a completely different experience. And so he, he talks about trying to persuade them to, to sing for him. And um, they're just absolutely haunting voices from the past. They're beautiful. And are those recordings, are they clear enough that you, you clearly hear the melody and, and all of that in yes. the recording? Yes, yes. And what, what was so inspiring about those field recordings for us is that it gave us lots of places to go with our imagination. It gave us performance practice ideas for how someone would swing the rhythm for example, when you read a jazz score, sometimes, and you hear a jazz musician play that score, what rhythm is on the page isn't always what you hear them do. It's a good approximation, but... Yeah, right. <laughs> and we found, in some cases, some similar types of things, and we incorporated some of those rhythmic twists or accents or the way they um, uh, emphasized a phrase in the music-making we are doing. 
Let's hear a few more of these from these 44 Bartok duos for violin, transposed for viola, and Donald and Claudine are releasing a CD recording of these 44 duos in a version for two violas on the Tantera record label in collaboration with the Bartok Archive in Budapest, the Fulbright Foundation, Brigham Young University, and the New Zealand School of Music. And the recording will be based on those field transcriptions. I I love the idea of hearing both the originals and then what he came up with, how Bartok interpreted these. We'll listen to four now. The first is Ruthenian Dance, followed by the Whirling Dance, Pizzicato, and Transylvanian Dance. Thank you. 
Viola players Donald Morris and Claudine Bigelow performing music from Bartok's 44 duos for violin. Transpose for viola. This is Highway 89. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Among those pieces, the Ruthenian dance, the first of the four, from the word Rus, which refers to the Eastern Slavic ethnicity. Those people living in Russia, Belarus, Poland, Slovakia, Ukraine. And nice on that fourth one to be reminded that there is a deeper culture in Transylvania than just vampire movies. <laughs> Donald Morris, thank you for playing for us. You've been awarded the Silver Alto Clef by the International Viola Society and Honorary Life Membership by the American Viola Society. Also on the inaugural Australia and New Zealand Viola Society Role of Honor. You are someone who has done a great deal to champion New Zealand composers. And fill us in on that tradition. Um, well, it's I, I, both as a soloist and a chamber musician, I've played a lot of performances and first performances of works, commissioned some, had some written for me. And I, I feel kind of an obligation and a duty, uh, as well as liking the music. I don't play pieces I don't like, of course, but um, <laughs> I think it's uh, important to promote the music of your own country. And... I wonder if you would talk to me about the inspiration for some of these uh, next few pieces that we'll be hearing. They, it seems like they have to do with landscapes, or is it just whatever subjects the New Zealand poets found? Yes, well, these, uh, Douglas Lilburn was very interested in all arts and painting and in poetry and so on, and his music was often inspired by other artists or writers. And these particular poets, there's seven of them that he wanted to pay tribute to, and so he wrote these pieces, and it was originally for an evening where the poets were present reading their own poetry, and he was to play a piece of music after they'd read their poetry to reflect the kind of sentiment. And I, and I think if you had to draw a kind of theme that runs through this, it is of um, a kind of pioneering spirit. In the early 19th century, sorry, early 20th century, even in New Zealand, we were still pioneers, believe it or not, because the European settlement really wasn't established till 1840. And so we're still a very young country by the early 1900s and, and the kind of things that pioneers would experience are expressed in this poetry and often just reflecting back on Mother England or, or sometimes just the landscape itself describing mountains and rivers and so on. Well, we've been, lots of us, lucky enough to, in between the story elements of The Lord of the Rings, see some spectacular views of New Zealand. But I wonder if you'd fill us in a little. Uh, you lived in Nelson by Tasman Bay. Where would we find that on the map of New Zealand? It's at the very top of the South Island. It's kind of roughly the same latitude as Wellington, but um, the islands kind of curl around each other a little bit. So Wellington's the bottom of the North Island, Nelson's the top of the South Island, although Nelson's slightly north of Wellington, if you get what I mean. And can you, can you see across that strait, or is that further than yes, that? Yes, you can. And, and Claudine, of course, was out there with us um, last year, and sh she and her family would walk out to the south coast of the North Island and look across at the South Island. And people swim across. It's a, I think it's about 20 miles. Mm. Well, let's hear one of these pieces. This is the Largamente, Allegro movement, from Douglas Lilburn's Salute to A.R.D. Fairborn. This is part of his Salute to Seven Poets. And this will be performed by Donald Morris with pianist Scott Holden accompanying. Here is Largamente.
You're listening to Highway 89, and we've just heard music from Douglas Lilburn's Salute to A.R.D. Fairborn, one of seven poets in that tribute. That one inspired a poem, Land of Mountains and Running Water, performed by Donald Morris with Scott Holden, pianist. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Claudine, you went to study in New Zealand as a Fulbright senior scholar and artist in residence. Was this at the New Zealand School of Music? Yes, um... In fact, Donald took a leave, and so I taught school for him. <laughs> well, I wondered, when you do a scholarship like that, do you express a specific goal and uh, what you want to accomplish or to study during the time of that grant? Yes, I sent a very hefty application package, uh, and it's a, it's a rigorously reviewed process. It was reviewed in the United States and, and in New Zealand, and 
Um, and I was chosen to go. I was to represent the United States as an ambassador for the United States and to teach there and to promote cultural exchange. Was that your first time in New Zealand? That was my second time in New Zealand. The first time I went to New Zealand was about um, in 2000? 2001. And it was for the International Viola Congress, which Donald hosted. And that was a really great opportunity to get to know him better. I wonder when you were at, at an instrumentalist playing on a level like that, as you travel around the world, is there one aesthetic that all violists or whatever instrument are striving for, or is, is it different in different parts of the world? I would say there are variations, but one of the things we all have in common is beauty of sonority and an interest in and excitement in the musical expression and when someone really plays with their heart and deep commitment those are things that i've found everyone loves in every culture and i wonder if you have any favorite spots in new zealand oh i do i have too many favorite spots and i can't wait to go back someday we lived on the southern tip of the northern island in island bay which is the southernmost community of wellington and that's where we would um, go hiking and uh, one of my favorite beaches there was makara beach and to go and to look over to see south island to collect shells to walk along the coast and see uh, seals. It was a wonderful experience. Hikes up in the cliffs overlooking the ocean are things that I'll always remember. Mm. I wonder if you'd tell us about the theme of these of the poem that these next two musical movements represent. First, the Andante. This is from the tribute to Keith Sinclair and also a ballad. And... Uh, let me read some of the poetry to you. Oh, well, that's nice. That'll definitely let us in on that. The poem is um, conveying uh, something uh, that a Maori chief says. Leave us alone, for when you come among us, we are nothing. We have no voice anymore. Although you have floated the land, I will not let it go to sea, lest the seabirds take flight since we have no resting place. The settler replies, the land must be opened with sufficient speed, sold at sufficient price, and the tribes given sufficient faith for salvation. Is that for the Andante? That is for the Andante. And the second is the ballad, and this is written by the poet James K. Baxter, also one of those salute to seven poets. We'll be hearing these two movements now, first the Andante, then the ballad, Claudia Bigelow will play both of these, and she'll be accompanied by our pianist, Scott Holden. And I have to say, when you drop by a university and you get the head of the whole keyboard program to accompany for you, you know, not, not, bad, not bad at all. <laughs> Scott, thank you for being with us. Here are these two pieces. Thank you. 
Ballad and Andante from New Zealand composer Douglas Lilburn's Salute to Seven Poets. That concludes another edition of Highway 89. Our guests today have been Donald Morris, Claudine Bigelow, and Scott Holden. Donald Morris is an award-winning musician who's performed with all the major orchestras of his native New Zealand and who frequently concertizes internationally as a solo artist and chamber musician. His recordings can be found on the Naxos, Kiwi Pacific, and Tentera labels. Donald, thank you so much for coming in today, both for squeezing in yet one more performance for us and also for introducing us to some great music from New Zealand composers. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's been a great pleasure. Claudine Bigelow heads viola and chamber music studies at Brigham Young University and frequently gives national and international presentations about BYU's Primrose International Viola Archive. Scott Holden is currently the director of keyboard studies at BYU. Special thanks to both of them for coming and performing for us, and we invite all of you to come back again and again as often as you're able. Also, to any listeners who might have a comment or question about this performance, you can reach us by sending an email to highway89 at byu.edu. Highway 89 is a production of BYU Broadcasting in Provo, Utah. The recording engineer is Mark Waite, and our show's producer is Jackie Tataishi. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Thank you for listening.